If you want to be a really successful CEO at some point in the future, learn how to be compassionate and learn how to be kind. You know, no one wakes up in the morning. I've never met in my 30 year career and my 20, 20 some odd year career, or 18 year career being a CEO or president of a company. No one ever wakes up in the morning and say, I'm going to go to work and F up on purpose. There's a lot going on in people's lives. You want to be successful, be kind, be compassionate, have a lot of empathy and, and listen to what they're saying and help lead them to the promised land. Welcome to the Unscripted Authentic Leadership Podcast, a podcast we're seeking to lead change while also seeking to understand. We're also here as a platform for leaders to come together to unite, to develop, and empower other leaders in the areas of business, family, and community. I'm your host, Lafayette Lang, joined by my co-host, John LeBron, and tonight we are joined by a special guest, Rajiv Kapoor, who is the CEO of 1105 Media, best-selling author of the book, Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. He also reveals how most business leadership is out of step with evolving times and values, which has negatively impacted both the effectiveness of our workforces as well as the bottom line. He's been featured in CEO Magazine, New York Times, Inc., and also Book Thinkers Podcast. And tonight, he's joined us right here on the Unscripted Authentic Leadership Podcast. Rajiv, thanks for coming on. No, guys, thanks. It's, it's my pleasure. It's my honor. Really appreciate it. And look forward to a great session. Absolutely. Let's get into the conversation. Of course, this is a leadership podcast, and we've heard all different types of uh, names of leadership, transitional leadership, transformational leadership, formidable leadership. But you have talk about enlightened leadership, which personally I've never heard of. And I think it's amazing. Uh, I would love to hear the concept of that enlightened leadership. Where did that come from? What exactly was, does that mean? Yeah, thanks, Lafayette. That, that's, a, that's a great question. You know, so look, you know, the, the church uh, back in the 70s and 80s coined a phrase called servant leadership, right? I'm sure you guys may be familiar with that, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that servant leadership permeated through businesses led by Jack Welsh from GE and a lot of other companies. And, you know, and the ultimate idea of servant leadership was I work for you. I'm here to support mm-hmm. you, right? So Lafayette, John, what do you guys need? I'm here to support you. What tool do you need? What support do you need? I'm here to make you successful because the theory was if you're successful, the company's successful, and then if that's the case, I'm successful, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly yeah. true. Correct. And so to me, enlightened leadership is the next evolution of servant leadership. So servant leadership is the basic foundation of enlightened leadership. Think of enlightened leadership as kind of like kind of like the the, the, the next layer on, on the cake, so to speak, of leadership, right? You've got your base of servant leadership, and from there you've got enlightened leadership. So now what is enlightened leadership? I believe that many of my peers are out of step, as you mentioned, with the changing times of what's happening in the workplace, right? I think COVID ushered in a new way for employees that want to do business. I believe technology has evolved to where I can run 95% of my company on my smartphone from anywhere in the world. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. There's more power in my smartphone than there was an the entire moon mission in the 60s, right? Sure. And so because of that, because of Zoom and Microsoft Teams and the ability to connect and whatever, work can be done from anywhere in the world at any time, right? 
And, and, and so what, what you've seen now, I think you saw what you've seen over here in the last couple of years is a perfect storm of, of events that have come together. COVID was a perfect storm in terms of changing the way workplace and work, workforce dynamics with people going remote, right? The development of new technologies and more and more powerful technologies allowing people to do those kinds of things. But I think what people are, are, are sleeping on is the fact, guys, in the next 24 to 30 months, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z, millennial, and for the first time, women will be the majority of the workforce in the U.S. And when you think about that and you think about what just happened, like, for example, in the recent election and whatever it is, these employees are have a lot more of an activist type of a mindset, right? These employees want to focus on passion. They want to focus on purpose. And they want to focus on those in, in, in congruent with profit. Because in the past, as a CEO, you had to choose purpose or profits. And I'm here to say you don't have to choose. And I'm here to say, actually, if you do choose purpose and profits, you can do it together and actually have a much stronger bottom line. Right. And, and here's why. Number one is the Society for Human Resources Management said before COVID, turnover or attrition in companies was causing companies around 30 to 35 billion dollars a year of expense. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if somebody leaves a company, there's a lot of brain drain that goes with it. Right. But not only that, you now have to refill that position. More than likely, you're paying more money for that position. Sometimes you might have hired two people or break up the job. Or you, or you say, you know what, I'm going to take that person's responsibility and give it to some other people. Well, now you're going to overload other people. They're going to get more burnt out. You might lose somebody somewhere else. So it becomes a domino effect. So ultimately, the goal here is, okay, reduce your attrition rate. If you can reduce your attrition rates, you're going to improve your bottom line. And that's not, my, that's not something that I've come up with. That's something that McKenzie came up with that said, look, you can, if you, you can improve your bottom line by 5 to 7% if you find a way to embrace purpose and passion at the same time as you're embracing profits, right? So what does that look like? So basically what that says is, is that, look, you know, you can absolutely have, you have two choices. You can either pay lip service to culture or you can embrace it. Deloitte, who we're all familiar with, did a survey where 90% of CEOs said culture is important. Guess what percentage of them actually lift a finger to do anything about it? Mm, it's probably 10% max. 100%. 10% was the number. Only 10%. And, yeah. I'm, and, I, and I'm here to say, look, the idea of enlightened leadership was born from the fact that work can now be done anywhere. You can actually embrace purpose and profits together and actually improve your bottom line by retaining your employees longer. So what does that look like beyond just this basic, you know, overview I'm giving? Well, if I go back to the point I made earlier about the fact that the workforce, keep in mind, boomers are retiring, right? Boomers are exiting the workforce, right? Quite a few, unfortunately, quite a few boomers passed away during COVID. So there's a, there's a huge gap. And so Gen Z and millennials are filling that gap. So they're in the workplace on a much stronger basis. So that by 2025, there's going to be a huge new workforce that's going to be out there. That's going to be this younger generation. And it's the most connected generation in the history of the world, right? It's, 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 it's the world that grew up on Instagram and TikTok, right? And so, so when, you, when you look at that, what's happening, you know, if you look at what they're looking for, and, and, I'm, and I don't mean to get political here, but if you look at what they're looking for, 
that workforce, the majority of that workforce is looking for what I, in a company, what I call the Jedi. And I'm a Star Wars nerd and my dog's name is Chewie. And so it was a really easy acronym to come up with. And they're really looking at justice, environment, diversity, and inclusion. They're looking at those four core attributes in an organization before they go work for them. Or if they are working for them, they want to know what they're doing about those kinds of things. That's why you hear about ESG initiatives, environmental social governance initiatives that are happening mm-hmm. within organizations. And so ultimately what that leads up to is then the idea of enlightened leadership, which is enlightened leadership is an evolution of servant leadership that says, Lafayette and John, not only am I here to take care of you within the walls of business, I'm also here going to do everything I can to support you outside the walls of the business. Because that's what Gen Z, millennial, and the pop and, and, and the demographic of women want to see out of their companies. And that's what's happening now. And it's going to be the majority of the workforce in 24 months. Wow. So let me ask you this. What is the threshold of sort of this enlightened leadership as in supporting somebody outside the walls, meaning have some experience in navigating these areas in that, like with our company, we have unlimited PTO. Very helpful. We also mandate that people take at least three weeks out of their, of their PTO every year. So you always have those people who don't want to take time off. You have to, and you have to take at least one week in a row to actually go and really just sort of decompress it's not really for auditing purposes or anything like that. We really just want you to be able to come in with fresh mind. Okay, great. It also helps people with kids and those sort of things. But what is the what is the sort of threshold of supporting somebody outside of the walls as far as like how far does the employer need to go to really am I making sense here? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I'm here to say, look, the employer doesn't have to go that far outside the walls, right? Uh So I'll give you an example. So you talked about PTO, right? Uh Unlimited PTO. Look, unlimited PTO to me is one of the greatest marketing things an HR department and the CFO have ever come up with because Mm -hmm. no one ever takes unlimited uh, PTO, right? And if you did, you're going to get fired. And that's something they don't tell you because if all of a sudden Lafayette or John, you guys said, you know what, I'm going to take six months off. You're not going to have a job to come back to. Right. So, 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 so there's that, but remember the whole, the, uh, the premise of unlimited PTO was to fix what was to reduce the liability of PTO on the balance sheet. Mm-hmm. That was the number one premise of unlimited PTO. Right. And then the secondary benefit has been the fact that it's a great marketing vehicle and looks good to the employees. But to your point, a lot of employees don't, don't, don't take advantage of it. Now I believe like, and I, had, and I was talking to a member of my team, I was talking to one of my company presidents yesterday about this. She's having a little bit of a problem with burnout in her, in, in her division, in her group. And when we went back and looked at it, her team's not taking their time off. And so I'm like, I'm like trying to force her. I'm like, Megan, you literally have to mandate and force people to go take this time off because it's not because of any sort of financial metric for me. It's because if you don't, they're going to get burned out. You know, you have to get them to go out and go to go go on vacation, go do things. Go, you know, if they don't want to take if they don't want to take a week off, tell them to start taking three or four three day weekends in a row, or whatever the case might be. I'll give you some examples of some small things that you could, that a company can do to support a company outside the walls of the business. So one of the things that we did at my company is is you know after the whole George Floyd situation, which you know to me and being a minority kind of affected me, probably not not, not as much as maybe affected other minority groups, but still did. And so I wanted to do something, but the numbers told me, look, 
And I'm not stupid. The numbers said, hey, look, 40% of the workforce probably wouldn't appreciate doing anything, right? So I said, all right, well, what's the least thing I can do to still be an enlightened leader? And so what I did was I give every November 7th or 8th, depending on what day it is, every year. Every single year, November 7th and 8th, whatever day that falls on, which is election day, they get a paid day off to go vote. Because to me, if you're not happy with what's happening outside the walls of the business, then go affect change. And the best way for me to do that is to give you, is to let you go without any fear of repercussion to go have that day off, to go vote, and I'll pay for it. And so that's what we did. And if some people voted by mail, great. I tell them, well, go, go volunteer in your community. Go be a poll worker. If you don't want to do that, then guess what? Take it as take it as my gift to you as a mental wellness day. Now, another a small example that I do to support people outside the walls of the business is we've gone fairly, we've gone pretty much fully remote here at 11.05. And to me, my team knows whether the work gets done at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m., I just want the work to get done. All right? That's the second thing. The third thing we've done is we've instituted on top of the November seventh or eighth, depending on what day it is, we've also given we've also we've also given all of our employees we've also given all of our employees um, sorry we've also we've also given all of our employees two additional uh, mental wellness days in the year, and so so we so we do those kinds of things, right? You know you know you know the, the amount of feedback I get from my employees, especially you know you know especially women that hey. I'm literally giving them back 10 to 12 hours of their life by keeping the company remote is, is unbelievable. And you know, the fact that they can now spend a bit more time with their kids, the fact that they don't have to wake up in the morning and put on makeup and drive to work or whatever the case might be. And they're getting time back. They can go do other things. They can invest in themselves. They can go to the gym. They can do these things. So those are ways that you can go out there and do those kinds of things. Right. And those are the types of things that you can do to help in, to, to endear people to stay at the company longer. It doesn't mean I'm not going to have people leave the company. Sure, you're going to have people leave the company. Look, I'm a relative compared to uh, a Microsoft or a Dell or a Google or whatever. I'm a small business. I'm a small company, right? Yes, we're a multi-million dollar business, but we're small compared to them, right? And so are people going to leave? Sure, because at some point, people in my organization kind of hit a wall in terms of their growth capability, right? So when people mm-hmm. leave us, it's not because you know, we, we hope they're not leaving us because of a bad manager or because they didn't feel like that. They're leaving us because they feel like they capped out at their current at their current level before they can and they want to jump up to the next level. And that's what we hear from most people. So hopefully that helped answer your question, John. Mm-hmm. I love how you gave practical things that business owners, CEOs can implement on a day to day basis, because I think you gave some great things, because like you said, a lot of this to me seems like a lot of photo optics to say, hey, we support diversity, we support inclusion, we support all of these things. And there's not really the work being put behind the words. And so to hear that what you're saying, some things that you're actually putting into action is great. Rajiv, one of the things I like to do is when we have guests, I love to go on their Instagram page and see the content that they're putting out, see the different things that you post because it lets me know how you think and who you are. One of the things that you posted that I love, I thought was great. And I want you to open up on it a little further. You talked about silent confidence or loud insecurity. Choose one. Mm. What did you mean by that? Look, one of the things I learned at my time at Dell was 
you know, you have to pick a lane in terms of which way you're going to go out and develop your career, right? And I always found that the people that were loud and boisterous, they really were, were, were masking insecurities and issues that they had in their own kind of career development or in their past, or maybe they felt like their education. It's almost like they're kind of bullying almost at some level, right? And to me, I was more of a, in my career and others, was, was much more of a silent, confident type of a person who would go out there and, and really find ways to grow without being a jerk. And that's ultimately the way, the way it goes, right? And you come across those people all the time in business who, who say, hey, you know what, who, who want to backstab, want to do certain things. And to me, I think you, you can fall into, two, into those two different camps. So it, it's a choice. I just hope you choose, you know, the one where it says, hey, I'm going to be confident in my own abilities. I'll give you an example, right? So, you know, when I was, uh, when I was at Dell, you know, I had an opportunity to go uh, to China. And I was at the time, I was managing the Western region for Dell. And it was about a billion dollar business, billion dollar plus business, huge. And I, I was supposed to have a call with Michael Dell. And I was excited because I thought I was getting a promotion. And I had the call and he says to me, Rajiv, I want you to go to China. And I'm like, what the blankety blank are you talking about? <laughs> like, it's like sending like it's like sending a guy from the military to Siberia. I'm like, what the hell did I do wrong? Like, you know, and I'm like, and I'm spouting off and and I was being a little boisterous. And he finally said, are you done talking? And he said, yeah. And I really learned a big lesson there. And he said, listen, you know, one of the things I learned from one of my mentors is that to take your best people and stick them on the hardest thing that the company needs fixed for mm-hmm. success for the future. So if anybody's listening to this and you're a Gen Zer or you're a millennial, hell, even if you're a little bit older than that, and you're trying to figure out how to move ahead up in your career, I want you to find out in your organization what it is. And I want you to raise your hand and go tackle the hardest thing in that company that you can go potentially fix that's going to drive growth for that business. Because if you can fix it, you've written your ticket. And even if you don't fix it and it doesn't work, you're still going to be looked upon positively because you raised your hand to try. Right? And 100%. people are always going to remember that. Right? And a lot of people try to take a very safe route in their career. No. I'm telling you, raise your hand, take that risk, go do it. And if you got to go to China, in my case, you go to China, right? If you know, if you, if you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And, and right now you're young enough to go do it. You may, you may not have a lot of, you may not have any or a lot of family obligations, you know, go do it. Mm, that's so good. It's true. I remember yeah. being, when I was in corporate America, I was, I was new, low on the totem pole and I wanted to get promoted just because I did. And there were five, five or six people that were eligible and you kind of forecast seeing these things come up. And then my supervisor said, I got this project and I need somebody to start testing it and see about, and basically make it work. We need to integrate this software with this thing and it's not going to work right now, but we need you to start doing it. And by the way, we need you to do it with a customer sort of live anybody. And everybody left their hands down. 
And I thought, sat there and thought, and I said, I went over to his desk afterwards and said, hey, I'll take it. He's like, you sure? I said, yeah. Because then I thought, they know it's going to fail. <laughs> it's not like I'm making it fail worse. And this makes me stand out if I actually make this work. And so it worked. And then I remember when they were looking for that next guy up or next girl up, whoever it was going to be. And it was between me and a couple others. And a couple others were actually probably faster, did more projects, you know, just faster with their, uh, I guess, with their projects than I was. Not necessarily better, but they always played it safe. They didn't help others. They didn't pick up extra projects. They just stayed within their little walls and their cubicle. And then uh, it was an easy, it was an easy choice. And then, of course, people always wondered, why did John get this and not so-and-so? I'm like, because he didn't raise his hand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he no, wouldn't go for it. I mean, I, it's, it's underrated. It's an underrated thing. You know, you, you hear the, you know, you hear, you've heard the, be the first one in, the last one to leave, right? Mm -hmm. That was, you know, one of Kobe's mantras right there. You know, mm -hmm. but I mean, it's true. I mean, small little things like that make a difference, right? It's mm -hmm. getting the right mentors in an organization, demonstrating your ability to hold yourself accountable, right? If you go back to enlightened leadership, there are five key pillars to enlightened leadership and their gratitude. How do you demonstrate gratitude in your day-to-day -day work? How do you demonstrate gratitude in your day-to-day -day life? It's resilient. How, how resilient can you be? How resilient were you through COVID? How resilient are you in terms of dealing with the bad news and the challenges in the business or whatever they might be? How resilient are you when, when, when life hands you lemonades, right? Do you have empathy for your employees? Are you listening? Do you listen big? You know, are you listening to your customers? You know, empathy is huge because one of the things people forget is that there are two customers. You have an internal customer and an internal, an external customer. Most people just worry about the external customer, but I'm here to tell you your internal customer is more important. Right. Mm -hmm. And empathy is a big part of that accountability and finally transparency. So when I talk and by the way, every one of those letters makes the word great gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, transparency. And that's the title of the book, Chase Greatness. That's how the title of the book came up from. Now, people say to me, well, why transparency and not trust? And I'm here to tell them in business, you can't have trust unless you really have good communication skills. In order to do that, you have to be really transparent. Mm -hmm. So before you can build that trust, you have to look what leads up to that trust, which is transparency. That's why it's those. That, that's why transparency is there first and not trust. And so those are the five key attributes. You master those five key attributes of business. I guarantee you, you can do anything you want. Mm. That's powerful. Go ahead, Lafayette. Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. You have another question? Nope, you're good. Okay. You wrote a book called Chase Greatness, and we've been talking about enlightened leadership uh, the book called chase greatness enlightening leadership for the next generation of disruption what was the concept behind the book tell us about the book why we should go get it well you know it's a, the concept of the book was like when when covid hit you know uh i the, the, the idea of the book was percolating in my head for quite some time but when covid hit i needed something to do because i was so busy focusing on other people and other things and other situations, whether it was personal, family, business, you know, that I, I, well, I'm sorry, whether it was family or business, I wasn't really focusing on myself. And it hit me one day where, you know, when you get on an airplane and the flight attendant says, if you might hit turbulence and when you do, a mask is going to fall from the ceiling, what, what do you do first? Put yours on first. Put your own mask on first. And this book was my way of putting my own mask on first. And I really realized at the time that, I needed, to put, I needed to make sure I was mentally in a good place before I could really lead my team and, and other people, you know, out, you know, through, through, the, through the COVID challenge. Because, look, the COVID thing was interesting because who am I going to call? There's no mentor for me to call. The, the, they, no one's been through this. 
right? There's no Harvard case study for me to read because there's no Harvard case study. In fact, so I made the decision saying, you know what, hopefully in 20 years, they're going to write the case study about what we did at this company to, 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 for the shining light that we were to, to grind our way out of COVID and to be the success that we are. And so that was it. And so I started writing the book. And, and in, the per, in the process of writing the book, I came across all these stats and this information about the changing demographic in the workplace and, and all these different kinds of things and how leadership needs to change to support that. And the reason why it's called for the next generation of disruption, and I think we're seeing it now, because you guys are familiar with chat GPT? Yep. Right? You, you know, you, 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 you take a look at what chat GPT is doing, how it's transforming organizations literally overnight. I mean, chat GPT mm-hmm. went to a million users in two days of launch. Mm-hmm. It launched a month ago. And, and it's going to... I'll show you I, later, Lafayette. And, and I'm telling <laughs> you right now, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a Google killer, right? It is. And Microsoft yeah. owns... Microsoft is the biggest investor in it, and they're going to own almost 50% of the business, and they're going to integrate chat GPT into Word, PowerPoint, Excel, you name it. Mm-hmm. What's well, different than Google, right? Because Google is, is a search. You say, this how do I do this? And it says, I don't know, pick one of these. Is basically what Google does. Chat GPT says, here, I'll do it for you. Right. But my point is, is that that's disruption that's coming. Oh, 100%. Right. Yes. And boomers and Gen Xers are the ones who are going to be the lead, the last to want to adopt it because it's just it, it's just it's just natural evolution of mm-hmm. the generation. You know, as generations old get, get older, they become less, you know, inclined to embrace technologies mm-hmm. for the newer generation. Right. Think about mm-hmm. like, like I'm 55 years old. I remember when the first PC came out. Right. Mm-hmm. You know. The older generation is like, what's that? Just use a typewriter, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, so so that happens over time. And so between artificial intelligence, machine learning, I mean, I saw the most amazing demo from CES where a Microsoft executive, um, and, I'll, and I can email it to you guys after the call's over if you want to share. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's on my Instagram, Lafayette. You can go look. It's on one of my reels. I just posted it yesterday. It's okay. like a four-minute long reel. And literally she showed a hologram of herself conducting an interview in Japanese using her own voice. And she doesn't speak Japanese mm-hmm. using, using holographic technology guys. I'm telling you. So, so all so IOT, you know, on my phone, I have, I have the nest camera. I have a ring doorbell on my phone. I can open and close my garage door for my phone. I mean, mm-hmm. all these, my point is all these technologies are there and this new generation is going to be is growing up in this technology to, you know, I grew up in a world where Atari was the best gaming console. You guys are growing up in a world where it's the PS5, right? Mm-hmm. And so everything evolves over time. I used to go to an arcade to play games. Now you guys can play arcade, you know, you can play, you can play games at home, right? I mean, you know, so, you know, you, you can go play, you can go play Madden and it looks exactly like, you know, Dak Prescott or whatever. And I'm only saying that because you get the cowboy home at the back, but even though they're, you know, I, although I worry if they're going to do anything in the playoffs, but you know, not you worry. <laughs> yeah. hey, I'm, I'm kind of a Rams fan, so we worry. But at least we win the Super Bowl. But anyways, but my point is like it can be NBA 2K, right? And I'm a big Laker fan, right? I mean, LeBron looks realistic, right? But 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 what that technology was ten years ago was you know, it was almost like stick figures, right? So my point is everything changes and evolves, and technology gets better. And so this generation that remember this generation grew up on playing Minecraft, they mm. know how to use this stuff. Right. I don't. I, I did it. So I'm going to learn from them. Right. And so so that's what's happening. And th- that's why this, that's why I call it the next generation of disruption, because you have to learn how to then lead those people. And I did the research. 
I, you know, I, and I wrote the book. I know people buy it because the book is really resonating with the Gen Z crowd, the millennial crowd, and for those that want to, those that want to lead them. Hmm. Absolutely. Rajiv, we always wrap up our show with a last segment called Off Script, where we ask our guests to leave our audience whatever's on your heart that you feel would be important for them to hear. Whatever's on your heart, leave us that last moment. Give us your off script moment. You know, I'll be like, guys, here's the thing. If I can tell you guys and your audience anything, if you want to be a really successful CEO at some point in the future, learn how to be compassionate and learn how to be kind. You know, no one wakes up in the morning. I've never met in my 30-year career and my 20-some-odd-year 20 career or 18-year career being a CEO or president of a company. No one ever wakes up in the morning and saying, I'm going to go to work and F up on purpose. There's mm-hmm. a lot going on in people's lives. You want to be successful, be kind, be compassionate, have a lot of empathy, and and listen to what they're saying and help lead them to the promised land. And if you can do those things, you're going to be highly successful. That's how you do the all script moment. Follow Rajiv on Instagram at the Rajiv Kapoor, T-H-E-R-A-J-E-E-V-K-A-P-U-R. Also get his book, Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. Stay connected with us here on Unscripted. You can follow us on all social media at Unscripted Leadership, our website, unscripted-leadership.com, and our podcast is available on all audio streaming platforms. Again, we say thank you to Rajiv for having this amazing conversation with us here about enlightened leadership. As always, we pray that you all be the leader that God has called you to be. We're here to build bridges and not walls. Bridges connect and walls divide. Until next time, God bless you.